I suppose the bleakest moment of that period would be uh, driving, driving somewhere, uh, vomiting out the window, and then carrying on driving. I can't believe I never killed someone, let alone myself. But that wasn't a, a rock bottom moment because I continued drinking for several years. Um, we can talk uh, later about the moment where I, I gave up for the first time for six years. I gave up for six or seven years. And then on a plane to India, I thought I was offered a glass of champagne. I thought, yeah, I can moderate now. I've done it for seven years. I had two years of moderation, sometimes successful, sometimes extremely unsuccessful, until at uh, 33, um, which was my rock bottom moment. I woke up in Dubai airport having been carried off a plane. <laughs> I don't know whether to laugh or cry. Welcome to the tribe. This is your weekly podcast from Tribe Sober. Whether you're already sober, striving to be sober, or just plain sober curious, you need a tribe. You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, tribe leader, Janet Gorond. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tribe Sober podcast. My name is Janet Gorond. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober, and I'm your host for this podcast. To celebrate releasing more than 50 episodes of this podcast, we've been running a little competition, and this week we have a winner to announce. To enter the competition, we simply ask people to post a five-star review and a comment on Apple Podcasts. Our winner is Courage Chiringa from Zimbabwe. Courage said, Thank you, Tribe Sober, for your wonderful platform. It's helped countless people and will be providing more clarity to many about the dangers of alcohol. May you and your guests on the podcast be blessed. The work you guys are doing is what the world needs right now. Well, thank you, Courage. What an awesome review. Your prize will be a free one-hour Zoom coaching session with our awesome recovery coach, Lynette. Just email Janet at tribesober.com and we'll set that up for you. This week, my guest is Robin Denny. I first met Robin about 10 years ago. That was back in my drinking days. And I was always rather intrigued by her. I knew that she didn't drink, yet she seemed perfectly happy. I was invited to a party at her house once. Everybody was drinking, yet there she was looking fabulous and playing the charming hostess while holding a glass of sparkling water. How on earth did she do that? By the time I finally ditched the drink six years ago, I knew Robin quite well and decided that she would be my sober role model. Maybe surprised he wouldn't be that dark and miserable place I feared. As someone who's had her own struggles with alcohol, Robin's always been very supportive of Tribe Sober and her Recovery Rocks talk always goes down so well at our workshops. I began our conversation by asking Robin to introduce herself. First of all, I'd like to say I'm, 
I'm really excited to be here, Janet, because Tribe Sober is something I believe in with my whole being, and I think it's extraordinary work that you're doing. I am an artist, uh, a painter, and a filmmaker. Um, I'm also a mother of two daughters who are nine and ten. I'm a wife, uh, a sister, and most importantly, I'm a person trying to come home to myself, to come home to that part within me that's in with all of us that is actually okay in some kind of homeostasis. And then from that point, to share whatever small bits of wisdom I have with the rest of the world. That's it. Oh, that's a beautiful introduction, Robin. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so let's let's delve into those drinking days, shall we? Let's let's get all the gory details out of you. So, how old were you when you had your first drink? Let's go back well, to that point. Knowing that I would speak to you today, I actually mapped out a timeline um, because, as you know, some of it's quite blurry. But um, I think I started drinking quite seriously uh, in my final year of school from 17 to 27. Those were 10, 10 years of, of drinking. But actually, I'd like to rewind because I've been in relationship with alcohol from before I was born. It seemed to be um, okay amongst the mums in, in Durban, I think, to some of them to drink through their pregnancies. Um, and I'm the last of five children, and there's a lineage of alcoholism in my family, but that's a bit of a preamble to say I have been in a relationship with some form of alcohol for my whole life and will continue till I die. Um, just the kind of relationship has shifted radically. So those first 10 years were 17 to 27. They were my university years. Um, it seemed completely normal. It's, everyone was drinking. Um, I grew up in a home where the drinks tray came out at six o'clock in the evening. It was completely normal. Every completely normalized, glamorized adverts showed people drinking, glamorous adverts that was in the Bahamas or somewhere. But I had some hairy moments in those 10 years. Um, I would often drink too much. Um, I suppose the bleakest moment of that period would be uh, driving, driving somewhere, uh, vomiting out the window, and then carrying on driving. I can't believe I never killed someone let alone myself. But that wasn't a, a rock bottom moment because I continued drinking for several years. Um, we can talk uh, later about the moment where I, I gave up for the first time for six years. I gave up for six or seven years. And then on a plane to India, I thought I was offered a glass of champagne. I thought, yeah, I can moderate now. I've done it for seven years. I had two years of moderation sometimes successful, sometimes extremely unsuccessful, until at uh, 33, um, which was my rock bottom moment, I woke up in Dubai airport having been carried off a plane. <laughs> I don't know whether to laugh or cry. Um, and then I managed to make my interconnected fly flight back to Cape Town and 
and I actually just checked myself in to Kenilworth Clinic and I thought this <laughs> this is it this is it yeah and it has been 14 years and that yeah it has been 14 years and we'll get we'll get to the tools but what I can say now with a lot of support and wisdom and teaching and and grace that in my basket of tools the bottle of chardonnay would be the very last thing I would reach for. But that's that's a long, long, long journey. And the beginning is, I won't lie, is very, very uh, white-knuckle difficult. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. Yeah, well, congratulations on those 14 years, Robin. Just... Um, Going back to that glass of champagne on the uh, the aeroplane, I don't know if you heard the podcast that I did with William Porter a while ago. No, he he talk, he talks about uh, fading effect bias, and I thought that was so interesting. It's it's a thing. He calls it fab. It's a thing that happens in your brain. It's not at all fab. But what happens is after a few months without the booze, we start romanticizing. It's not just alcohol. We do it with other things as well. We start thinking, oh, you know, I used to have such fun with my girlfriends. I used to enjoy being on a plane with a glass of champagne. And we, we're drawn back to that because we forget the hangovers and the blackouts and the bad bits. And I thought that was so interesting. And that is such a, a logical explanation for so many of our members that will do a few months, maybe as long as a year of sobriety. And they'll actually post on the group, I think I'm fine now. I'm going to have you know, the odd glass of wine. And we think, okay. And then they vanish, you know, then they come back mm. a few months later and say, hmm, <laughs> it didn't well, work I, out. I, I mean, when just before we pressed the record button, you were talking about reading about neuroscience, and I think that's that's a, and neurological pathways, and I think that really is one of the core things with uh, changing our habit, habits is about changing our neural pathways and tricking ourselves and fantasizing, and you know, and that those two years of moderating or attempted moderation in between. The, the, the sober was, and they were both bookended by weddings in India. One was on my way to a wedding in India, my dear friend, to her cousin's wedding, and I drank the champagne on the plane. And two years later was on the way back from her sister's wedding <laughs> where I got carried off the plane. But in those two years, I had this rule of two glasses of wine is absolutely fine. And it, it's so, you know, I love, I can still taste woody Chardonnay. I can taste the feeling of my, actually the woodiness and the feeling of my veins starting to softly melt and the edge coming off. I loved wooded Chardonnay so much I could clean my teeth in it. So in that two-year period, as some of your listeners might be thinking, but I love a drink. Let let me just do the two glasses rule because no one swings from a chandelier after two glasses. It's fine. Then I'd be fine for eight out of 10 times, but it was always a push, pull, just two glasses. Then somehow I bought these, which you actually saw, those two, those huge, uh, almost goldfish bowl wine glasses. And then it became <laughs> two huge glasses. And then 
On the 10th time, it was, what was the rule again? Was it two bottles? I can remember there was two something. And then I was back to two bottles of wine and five schnapps. And okay, then I did this tug of war. I really gave it my all. Back to two glasses, back to. It is such a relief now, 14 years later, that it's it's not even on my radar. I, it's not even on my radar, but that was, that's a long journey to fill that basket with. When you take something away, you have to replace it with something that makes you even feel better. It, it's just the rule of being human. Take something away, replace it. Don't leave a, a deficit of excruciating anxiety. You know, Replace it with yeah. something that soothes you and gives you yeah. some form of euphoria because we all need that. Yeah, and it, it takes work. I mean, alcohol rewires your brain. How scary is that? So decades, years of drinking will rewire our brains, and then we have to rewire them with, with healthy habits. But that's the joy of neuroplasticity, because yeah. it is possible. Yeah. And yeah, I, I wanted to mention a study that I read about this week, actually. it's um, It came out by the Tempest, who are a sobriety group, and they'd questioned 250 people who were in recovery. And they asked them this question. They said, how long was it between the first moment that you registered, I've got a problem with alcohol, to the moment when you did something about it, or you reached out for help or did it on your on your own? And I was amazed to, to see that the average time was 11 years. But then I thought about my journey and my mm. 10 years of trying to moderate. <laughs> and I realized that's that's pretty typical. Did, mm. did you recognize kind of at university even that alcohol yeah. might be a bit of an issue for you? I, you know, I, I did. I, I recognized, uh, you know, my, my greatest uh, teacher is obviously my mother who who died 10, 11 years ago. But she is my barometer of wonderful, terrible. You know, she was the most creative, beautiful, humanitarian, extraordinary woman. And she was also, um, the, she self-medicated with alcohol to the point of where it just eventually crippled her life. But so... I grew up watching her sometimes drink too much. Uh, I watched her struggling relationship with it. So, And there's alcoholism in our family. And her father was an alcoholic who killed himself. So so, it, it, so you, I came into the world knowing of the destruction of alcohol, yet for 10 years as a student, uh, it didn't even cross my mind to, to give up until um and there were many moments you know there were many moments i was i was studying my masters in fine art in london and there were many moments of drinking way too much uh sliding down the steps of a nightclub not being allowed entry you had to be a member joining it at two in the morning with money that i didn't necessarily have you know the madness of it all my actual uh damascus road to damascus moment or first turning point was when a friend of my mum's came for a drink. Um, I was 27 and after an hour, she she sipped a small whiskey for the hour and she looked across at me and she said, you know, Robin, 
you finished a whole bottle in an hour. That's that. It's too much. It's. I said, oh, you know, I know. I do this every night. <laughs> and but I was starting to really notice that in that year that at four o'clock I, at university I couldn't wait. I was just dreaming about my six o'clock glass of Chardonnay, my six o'clock bottle of wine. At four o'clock, I could feel the chemical feeling in my body. It's only two hours till six o'clock. Mm-hmm. And yeah. she said to me, you know, she said, I gave up smoking by every, when I woke up the next morning and I hadn't had a cigarette, I made a lipstick mark on my mirror. She said, try it. Tomorrow, don't have a drink. And when you wake up the next morning, I said, I'm going to try it. And I did. And I'd make this lipstick mark. The next day I made another lipstick mark, like these little prison marks of days of marking, except this was marking getting out of prison, lipstick marks until my mirror was filled with these uh, red lipstick marks. But I must say, coming home at, at, at that six o'clock moment, my first and most effective technique was to have boiling hot baths. That was the only thing that would bring down my nervous system, that would take away that excruciating feeling that I wanted to climb out of my own skin yeah. and, a boi- and a boiling hot bath. And I still, you know, all these years later, 25 years later, actually, I still use a boiling hot bath to, as one of my ports of calls to bring my nervous system down. Um. And and I did that for six years, then the two years moderation, and now it's the fourteen years. It's it's what was the original question? Like did how how long <laughs> how long till I realized I needed to give up? Um Yes, when did you realize? The first time was when she pointed out that I was just drinking wine like water and it was just she the way she looked at me, and she also knew my mother and she knew by history, and she was like basically saying with compassionate eyes. You're drinking wine like water. This is not going to end well, Robin. And then the next time was being carried out of the airplane and not not remembering. But the, they kindly put my overnight bag next to me and thinking, how, how did I get here? Okay. Yeah. But yeah. it took years and years I think, and years. Yeah. Yeah. But but then somehow we get to a point, don't we? And we think I can't do this anymore. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Whatever the alternative is. I mean, I, I remember feeling that even if sobriety is a dreadful, boring and grey place, which I was expecting it to be, I don't care. I've got to <laughs> save my life here. I've got to do this. But the, your point about longing for that first drink, I was exactly the same, four o'clock, probably three o'clock. And I only learned since I've been doing this that if we drink every evening, even if it's only two glasses of wine, our bodies are actually in withdrawal the next mm. day and it's mm. not you know like heroin withdrawal but it's a mild sense of withdrawal and it feels like anxiety and that's why we long for that first drink and the few sips and it, it calms that withdrawal mm. we're having a hit of our drug alcohol is a drug as we all know my question was how did you do it so you had the the lipstick and then you moderated and then how did you get back on the on the sober bus as we call it it's much easier from this point to to talk about the end point rather than the beginning point. But I think it's been a, a gradual increase in awareness that 
why we drink is to calm our nervous system, to diminish our anxiety, diminish our lack of self-worth, and to invite euphoria. So I have been doing practices for 30 years that calm the nervous system, bring me back to myself, the self that's the central part that's in homeostasis, that's okay, that's full, that's whole. Every tradition in every every generation has had some form of that self that's okay, that homeostasis, and they call it all different things. You can be fancy and call it Atman. You can call it Buddha nature. You can call it divine self. You can call it homeostasis. It doesn't matter if you're sacred or profane. So to me, it's about increasing the toolbox of what makes me feel okay and to bring some joy into my life because we drink to feel okay, to soften the edge, diminish the anxiety and bring a bit of euphoria. And I I feel the world is divided into two kinds of people, Um, people who can sip a glass and a half every night and soften their nervous systems. And those of us and probably all your listeners who actually feel the effect of what alcohol is, which is a neurotoxin, and they start to speak in ways that aren't themselves, behave in ways that aren't themselves, increase their depression, increase their anxiety. So if you're in that first group where your glass and a half is just soft and you manage, it's wonderful. But if you're in this other group, we have to find this huge basket and you start small, I mean, you, you, we'll talk about it a bit later, about what are the, the tools I've gathered in 30 years. And you have to, I have replaced it with things that calm me and make me feel okay. And on a good day, they give me some joy. And on, a, on, a, on one of my difficult days, they just calm me. You know, it, yeah. it's enough. It's enough just to... <laughs> It's just, uh, you know, just to feel uh, not excruciating, to feel okay. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. If you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, just head on over to tribesober.com and hit the membership tab. That's www.tribesober.com. Yeah, your, your point about the world being divided into two is is so true. How did you cope when you first went sober and you were socializing? Did you get people like those ones in the other side that said, well, can't you just have one glass of wine or are you an alcoholic? How did you cope with all that nonsense? Early sobriety is so tough. Going out, I had all these <laughs> all these techniques. Thankfully, my friends were so elated that I was giving up alcohol and and so thrilled <laughs> that I was giving up alcohol um, that they were supportive. But if I went out to a place where people didn't know me, they would say, or if they noticed, because one of my techniques was to have appetizer and a wine glass, you know, because I didn't feel like talking about why I wasn't drinking. So they thought I was drinking. I would go out to a party and I'd last about six minutes. I thought, I've got to get out of here. This is, and I would say things like, I drank to make other people interesting. These people are so boring, which is another word for saying 
I don't feel like being in my own skin. I would go out for five minutes. I would, uh, sometimes I would hold the table behind my back and I would squeeze the table so hard and I would white knuckle it until <laughs> that desperate feeling passed. But I'm actually a, a, a water drinker, but drinking a, a, a glass of uh, bubbly water with a, a dash of pink in a wine glass can be really helpful. You know, just, you. Some, I like, I still like to hold a wine glass. I love the feeling in my hand. I still, uh, yeah, me too. I still drink uh, bubbly water if I'm in a art, bubbly water in a wine glass. I love the feeling. But I would keep it short and because it's a, you have to train yourself to go out to a three hour party when you've just given out alcohol. Giving up alcohol is like, would be like torture. Don't do that to yourself. Don't do that to yourself. And then also surround yourself with, with people who are so excited that you've given up. So excited for you. Yeah. It made me laugh when you said your friends were relieved because when I told my friends, I was expecting them to say, oh, don't be silly, Janet. You don't have a problem. But nobody actually said that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I thought, oops, good job I've done that. Yeah. And uh, Eusebius MacKaiser came to one of our workshops. And I'll never forget this piece of advice he gave to our people there about this subject. He said, he said, never forget, it's not your job to make other people feel comfortable about their drinking. You must do what's right for you. And I thought, yeah, we, we always get so caught up, don't we, in oh, what will that person think? What will that person think? I mean, all we're doing is stopping pouring poison into our, our brains and bodies. You know, is that such a dreadful thing to do? Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Point. Uh, my next question, Robin, is about the mommy juice culture. Yeah. You were long-term sober by the time you became a mum, but you must observe it and see other people doing it. What, what are your views and how strong do you think uh, this culture is? I think it's it's very strong and I completely understand it. You know, at, at six in the evening, if you've got five-year-olds and they're screaming and the one's pulling the other's hair and the, the house is a mess and you're exhausted and, oh my word, the level of discomfort and anxiety and wanting to pull your own hair out is so high. And so many uh, women, I have friends on both sides of the group. Some will just gently sip their glass and a half and they'll be fine. And others will have a bottle and a half. And then by the time they're putting their kids to bed, they, they are slurring and falling over their feet. And so, you know, it's what I say about everything. It's any increase in anxiety, and we all have it. You just have to look at our beloved country at the moment, and there's so much trauma going on, so much inequity, so much trauma. There's never going to be a shortage of, of anxiety and trauma in our lives from different things. It could be as simple as being in a long marriage that feels disconnected. It could be financial anxiety. It could be there's no shortage of anxiety in our life and small children screaming in the house is just one in multiple forms and I would say what I say to myself all the time reach into the basket for something that's going to soothe you reach in and and I you know I wake at crazy I wake at four naturally by four in the afternoon I'm exhausted I don't have much left and I, I have become very unambitious in my early evenings a boiling hot bath. I'm I'm as ambitious as ambitious as getting my children and my husband to the table just for 15 minutes for supper. Everyone can go and watch their own media. Don't talk to me. And I just have to put them to bed at a reasonable hour. Anything. 
but have that two bottles of Chardonnay. Because, Janet, to tell you the truth, I wouldn't have this family if I was drinking the way I was drinking. I wouldn't have <laughs> I wouldn't have children to put to bed. That's an excre- extreme case. We have to dial it back because some of your listeners are only having one bottle a night and that's what they want to let go of. And I just say, those mummies, I would say, reach for something else. If it's, if it's tippled into that thing where you're waking up with a bit of a headache, you're neurotoxically impairing yourself, you're not loving your drinking, you feel that effect, slowly and surely find the things that soothe you and your children because ultimately <laughs> that bottle of wine is never really soothing. It's it's no, never no. really a real euphoria giver. It isn't. It's a it's no, a it's no. a trick. It's a trick. There's such such a big price to pay, and I think one of those prices for for moms is you you lose the connection between your child because mm. I, I've met so many young moms that say, oh well, you know, when I get home from work, I just want to get the children off to bed so I can open my wine. Mm. So the children pick that up, even if it's you know if they're very young. I think I think many of them open the wine while the children are there because you know <laughs> if if you're a drinker, you will start at probably at sixish over supper mm. and and then it's a s- slow deterioration. I think a great book for young moms or any moms listening to this is uh, Claire Pooley's Sober Diaries. I'll never forget the beginning of that book because uh, she's a mom of three young children. I mean, she used to be an executive in an advertising agency and then she couldn't juggle the work and home thing. So she gave up work, stayed at home with three young children, put on loads of weight, got depressed, was drinking a bottle, just a bottle a night and more at the weekends. And one morning, one Sunday morning, she had a crashing hangover. I think it had been her birthday. She'd really gone over the top. And she found herself under the kitchen table because the three young children were screaming and running around. And she uh, she knew that there was a drop of red wine in the fridge. And this was in the morning. <laughs> so she poured it into a mug because she didn't want her children to realize she was drinking wine. And she drank it. And then she looked at the mug and the mug said, world's best mum. <laughs> and she, and that was her crisis. That was her rock bottom. And then she, she changed. Aww. But I love that story. And, you know, someone like her can articulate so Aww. well and take the shame out of it. And, you know, it's, it's yeah. not easy being a parent. And so it, many people reach for the booze. It's, 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 it's not easy. But, you know, I, I grew up with... Um, a mother who drank every night and a father who didn't drink at all. Um, I think he felt someone (laughs) had to stay sober. And it's about, as a child watching a mother, it's about watching deterioration every night. And it doesn't, in the worst case as a child, it doesn't make you feel safe in the world. Yeah, I was really conscious of, well, I had, I had stopped before I even thought I would. You know, my motto was no husbands, no children, no dogs, no pot plants, no goldfish. Um, I was just going to live in a new port and be free. But somehow that didn't happen. But, yeah, mothers and children, it's its a huge thing. That that example you quoted, it's its its huge. It's its actually deeply painful and funny at the same time. But its it's deeply painful that, One is disconnecting in front of these small beings. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. 
Robin, I've known you for years. I've known you from the days when I used to go to my yoga classes with crushing hangovers. <laughs> I know that you've been doing yoga for many years. Were you? Did you have a yoga practice when you drank, or was that one of your uh, tools to help you recover? I began yoga just before I gave up. Actually, I began yoga. That's interesting. But before I had started meditation, I think my I started meditation before I started yoga. So I'm sure both of those things will feature in your toolbox that we'll come to in a moment. <laughs> but just it's someone that's never done yoga, never done meditation, could you explain to them why it might help in early recovery and long-term recovery as well? Definitely. I would, you know, because you could have a variety of listeners I would simply, I would go right down and even just change the words yoga and meditation because they, it can even be a, a filter of a blockage for some people. I would go as simple as saying breath work and body work. I would strip it down to its absolute basis. It's learning to breathe and there are that's my number one in my toolkit, learning to breathe, to change your nervous system. And it can be, I've been doing this for 30 years, but it can be something as simple as a two-minute breath exercise. Breathing has been done for thousands of years. So if you want to use the Indian Sanskrit word, it would be pranayama, but it's really, it's breathing. And what really brought this home to me is there is one breath technique, which is alternate nostril breathing or Nadi Shodhana, but the Navy SEALs call it box breath. So they have decided to train their most valuable assets with a breath technique that has been used for thousands of years. People might have come across the Iceman, uh, Wim Hof, who, who teaches breathing and ice swimming. He's also using techniques of thousands of years old. I would teach two different techniques. If you're feeling so flat and so depressed, and so lacking energy, I would do the the Wim Hof, the 30 second, 30 deepest breaths you can take, and then holding your breath out for as long as you can, and then breathing in. Repeat that three times, and your body is tingling. Something is waking up in you. So sometimes in the afternoon at four o'clock when I'm just feeling so flat, I will do three rounds of that intense breathing, just 30 deepest breath, hold your breath out for as long as possible. Before you gasp, breathe in for 15, repeat three times, and you will get some tingling back in your body. Now, that is so simple. And then if you are feeling so, that's if you're flat, but if you're feeling the opposite of so anxious, so tightly wound, so nerves on end, I would do just a soft humming breath. I would put your fourth fingers in your ears to close your ears and just do a soft, close your eyes and just do, make a soft, just hum like a bee. And, and just do that for two minutes and it'll, it'll just bring your whole uh, anxiety down. So, so that's breath work. There's also body work, which can go from, and I do all of it. You know, I do yoga, I do dancing, I do tapping. Uh, but if you have, there's just something so simple, 
just learning how to rub your vagal nerve, which is the nerve that spans from your brainstem all the way down to your pelvic, and it's closest to your heart, all the way down the front of your body. If you just rub with both hands down your heart to your belly, you're actually learning to soothe your own nervous system. But my husband said, make sure you talk about community and support because many of these practices you can do on your own. But in the beginning, there's thousands of people teaching it. And you can just Google it and watch a YouTube, type in breath work, type in body work, type type in soothing the nervous system and find the one that just works for you. So the the other important thing for me to say is not having my six o'clock glass of wine starts at four in the morning or when I wake at five in the morning. That's when it starts. I start when I, because when I wake, I don't know about you, Janet, every morning I feel like I am scattered, splattered all over. And then I spend the next hour, two hours, pulling myself back in, reeling myself back in to that okay self, to that homeostasis. That's when I start because by six o'clock in the evening when I'm exhausted, I need to reach for something that refers to that place of okayness in ourselves. And depending on, we each wake very different in the morning. Sometimes I wake exceptionally soft and vulnerable, and then I get get on my mat, and my body work is getting into child's position and doing a soft, so soft, so small, so humble. Sometimes I wake and I'm in a rage, or I'm I'm feeling excruciating about the world, and then I my body work is putting Jay Z in my ears and my earphones and dancing like a mad person. All of this, my husband is sleeping. I'm doing it on the mat behind the bed from four to seven in the morning. <laughs> but I, I've i either done a, a soft, deep yoga practice or a mad, crazy person shaking dance with my earphones in. Anything that feels appropriate, breathing, body work. Yoga is obviously my great love, but so is dance. You know, I would say to someone in their 70s, if they were wanting to give up alcohol and they wanted to do body work, I would say, put on Frank Sinatra in your ears and slowly sway your hips. You know, anything that brings you into your body, that softens your body. Because it's it's all about ah, calming this nervous system, bringing some movement. But breath and body work are my, my top two. And actually, number one is the hot baths. Hot baths, breath, body, and the list can go on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's wonderful how over the years you're, you've got so in touch with how you feel and all these different ways to, to soothe yourself. But I think, you know, for many of us, we, we grabbed that glass of wine, didn't we, because it was such a quick fix. Mm, so mm. if you can find mm. just a couple of breathing things like the ones you recommend, then try to treat those as your quick fix mm. uh, and gradually they'll they'll become as natural to you as grabbing that glass and 
what a healthy way to to do it. So thank you. Yeah, definitely. That, that, that's awesome. Uh, any more from Robin's top tip? Yes. Baskets? Yes. So hot baths, breath work, body. Those are the top three. I have nature. So on excruciating afternoons, I will try and get into a forest, either the Glen Forest or Newlands Forest with the dogs or with the children, and I will walk barefoot. I will put my feet on the forest floor. Sometimes I'll even lie flat on the forest, put my hands in the soil. I'll look up at the leaves. I'll feel a bit of streaming sun. Today would be streaming rain, but just come down into the sand, into the soil, or I even walk barefoot on the grass at the prom, look at the sea. Nature is, oh, that's, if you can just get into nature, get a bit of sun on your face, that's a, that's quite a quick one. Or just walk, walk on the prom, walk in the forest, walk in a park. So nature is a, is a big one. Um, and that explains why uh, that explains why I see you on the mountain barefoot sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, one that I find really, I'm, I'm calling it listening, watching, reading. For me, it's about. I often, I, I mean, I feel this every evening. To be honest, that. I need to get out of my own body, my own head, my own story, and it's very soothing to enter somebody else's story, somebody else's. So I will listen to a podcast, I will read something, or I'll watch something. I'll watch I'll watch a film, I'll watch an episode of a series because someone else's vulnerable story or someone else's story is deeply soothing and that's that is such that's a quick fix, you know. Instead of the glass of wine, watch a 30-minute episode of something that you love that hopefully makes you laugh or makes you feel some kind of shared vulnerability or listen to a podcast. I'm a big podcast listener. There's such exquisite, exquisite stories, the ones you're sharing. Listen to someone else's journey. So that's listening, watching, reading. And number six would be friends or community, phone a friend, reach out to Tribe Sober, connect with somebody that can take you out of your excruciating feeling that you want to grab that glass of wine and just say, oh, God, I'm thinking about that glass of wine. I can taste it in my – I can taste that Chardonnay in my mouth and that friend or Tribe Sober will connect with you and say, let's think about this, let's do this, and just whether that – because sometimes there's only a 15-minute storm that you go through. Get through that 15 minutes. Um, or a friend or just someone who can hear and just not even try and fix you, just hear your how excruciating you feel. So friend or, friend or community is number six. Um, and I have to give you some of my not-so-slightly-less-healthy not so, not so uh, less healthy. Um, one of my, when I can't reach for breath or, or yoga or movement or dance, or I don't even feel like talking to someone, 
at my worst moments, I will have two kilograms of fudge or two kilograms of caramel squares. Now, I wouldn't recommend that to anyone on a daily basis, but sometimes for me, that amount of sugar makes me feel safe and loved. And everybody's got to find their thing. And and even today, all these 14 years later, sometimes nothing's going to cut it except for two kilograms of fudge. And it's still a whole lot better than two bottles of Chardonnay. So, you know, in this toolbox of, of breathing and moving your body and phoning a friend, walking in a forest, laughing, eating fudge, you know, in this toolbox, all of them are more supportive than, than that glass of wine or that whiskey or that beer, all of them. And it's to be gentle on yourself and just very simple in the beginning, very, very simple, you know, three minutes of breathing of just or swishing, swishing your arms up and down, swishing, twisting anything to shift that excruciating feeling. Every Saturday afternoon, we open up our Tribe Sober Zoom Cafe. It's a safe space where our members can connect, check in, and just shoot the breeze about alcohol-free living. If you'd like to be a guest at the cafe one Saturday, just drop us an email at janet at tribesober.com. That's janet, J-A-N-E-T, at tribesober.com, and we'll send you an invitation. Yeah, yeah. We have to to learn about ourselves, don't we? And I think when we stop drinking, it gives us a chance to get back in touch with ourselves. And I just finished interviewing an American lady, actually, who um, her whole life changed at 9-11. She was in New York and completely traumatized and and she rushed away from from America because she didn't feel safe. And she went to a Buddhist monastery and looking for peace, you know, and she learned to meditate. And the um, the wonderful thing meditation did for her is it made her realize that the only place that we're really safe is within ourselves. Mm. And meditation taught her to connect with that that beautiful, peaceful place within herself. And I thought that was such a nice kind of story. I think that's so, so beautiful. And, you know, I will completely reiterate that. But I'll also add that in the beginning – coming home is terrifying. In the beginning, stripping away all the distractions and being left with oneself is terrifying. You know, our first thoughts are like, what happens if I don't really like what's there? Or, you know, uh, this quietening down and coming home to yourself, it takes a while to become friends with yourself. It takes a while to develop uh, the tools of of being kind to yourself. and Yeah, and perhaps the compassion to forgive yourself. I forgive. get ladies saying, yes. oh, I can't sleep. I feel so guilty about yeah. all the things I did when I was drinking too much. Yeah. So we have to learn to, to forgive ourselves as well. And the other thing with meditation is like, you know, I, I, I'm quite an extreme person, as you might have gathered. Um, when I started my meditation career, you know, path. It, I did a lot of 10-day silent retreats and and that's, you know, 30 years later, 
sometimes a soft lead meditation with multiple teachers. You know, I'm naming one, Tara Brach, her voice is so soft. She can lead you through a five-minute meditation. You don't have to sit still on your own in a rigid lotus position. You can lie back and listen to a five-minute lead meditation or a five-minute or 20-minute what's called yoga nidra. You just lie in, in the corpse pose and let someone talk you through recognizing parts of your body. There is so... Um, you know, we have a, a, a very dear friend who, who has the Shala, which is, a, is one place if you're in Cape Town or online, but there are multiple places where you can reach out to find beginner breathing, beginner yoga, beginner dance, beginner anything. Um, yeah, yeah. We sometimes people hear the word meditation, and it, you know, it, it just those ten day silent treats were, were were hard. It they were so tough. It's not the way I would encourage everyone to go. I would say I would say start soft. You know, stay, start soft. Start with three minutes of breathing, twenty minutes of a beautiful podcast. Connect to tribe sober. The biggest thing uh, that you're providing, Janet is an ongoing, sexy, sober community. And why I say sexy? Because sometimes one thinks about how boring it would be to give up alcohol or to go to certain meetings with bad coffee can be excruciating. You're providing a platform where it's wise, it's connected, it's forgiving, it's available. It's, it's you even bringing in how sexy we can feel being sober, which I didn't think in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thank you for mm. the commercial there, Robin. Mm. Very kind of you. <laughs> can we um, end off now by you maybe summarizing what the benefits of alcohol-free life have been for you? You've already alluded to that a few times, but if you could just summarize it in a couple of sentences, mm. how would you inspire someone that thinks, oh, I can't really do that? You know, for me, it's, it's the words, there is a way out of suffering. There is a way out of anxiety. There is a way out of, of feeling uncomfortable. And... The greatest support for me is being sober. I couldn't do anything, do any of these small practices, have this family, be a painter. For me, being sober is the most supportive, delicious, kind, Oh, I just, it's so hard because it's, it's difficult for people at the very beginning. They're going to think, what is she saying? <laughs> you know, what is she saying that it's, it's, it's delicious and supportive and sexy and inspiring to be sober. But I can say that, I can say that now for these last 14 years, that it just gets better and better and easier and easier and it's so I don't even th have to think about it when I go out it's the, the last thought on my mind about how much neurotoxicity I need it's like how how awake how funny can I find someone how gentle can I find someone how funny and gentle can I be yeah and it's it's yeah. that's it for me
Yeah, that's that's beautiful, Robin. It reminds me of something I heard a sober celeb saying the other day. I think it was Bradley Cooper. He said, my recovery is the foundation upon the rest of my life has been built. And if that goes, everything will crumble. Exactly. That's a beautiful analogy, isn't it? Mm -hmm. That's exactly how it is. Mm. Well, what can I say? That was that was fabulous. I loved it. I, I loved uh, uh, sharing it. At a later stage, if you want to do a part two and we break down some breathing techniques, some movement techniques, I'd love to do that. Fabulous. Mm. Yes, we should. Mm. Uh, in the meanwhile, just tell people how they can connect with you. You're, you're on Instagram and your art is on your website. Yes, those are, that's, Instagram's my favorite, Robin Denny Art. And my website is robindennyart.com. So there you heard me talking to Robin Denny. Let's pick out a few highlights from that conversation. Now, Robin says that she's been in a relationship with alcohol since before she was even born. The Durban moms back in the day used to sometimes drink alcohol when they were pregnant, as the dangers of fetal alcohol syndrome have not really been highlighted back then. So Robin's mother and her grandfather had a problematic relationship with alcohol. And Robin found it heartbreaking to witness her mother, who was a highly accomplished person, grow more and more dependent on alcohol. It was between the ages of 17 and 27 that Robin developed her serious wine habit. Like many of us, she began setting rules, just as two glasses only. But she just bought bigger glasses. She could sometimes keep to her rules, but sometimes she couldn't. It was a constant push and pull, and she spoke of it being such a relief that alcohol is no longer even on her radar. Her turning point came when a friend of her mum's came to visit her in London and noticed that Robin was drinking a bottle of wine in less than an hour, which in fact she did every evening. She advised Robin to try a trick that she'd done to give up smoking. She said, just make a lipstick mark for every alcohol-free day. And Robin did just that, and it really helped. These visual reminders are so powerful, and we use annual trackers here at Tribe Sober. If you would like one of our annual trackers, just email Janet at Tribe Sober, and we'll send you one. The value of trackers is that you get a dopamine hit every time you register an alcohol-free day, and that dopamine gives you the encouragement to carry on and mark off the next day. Robin had a rock bottom at the age of 33 when she had to be carried off a plane at Dubai Airport. This was during one of those periods when she decided that, yes, she could moderate. Yet just one glass of champagne had led her to drink so much that she passed out. On her return to South Africa, she checked herself straight into rehab. She now believes that the world is divided into two types of people. Those who can drink a couple of glasses of wine to soften the edges. And the rest of us, people like us, who need to ditch the drink and create a basket of tools other than alcohol to take the edge off. When we ditch the drink, we have to replace it with something else. And that's why we need a personal basket of tools. Robin kindly shared some of her tools with us. When she got home at six o'clock, she would have a hot bath. She would find that this calmed her nervous system and she wouldn't have to open the wine. 
She had a daily yoga and meditation practice. She loved walking in nature, especially barefoot in the forests. She relies a lot on listening, watching and reading. She says, get out of your own story by listening to someone else's story. Listen to podcasts, read a book, watch a movie. And of course, community. Reach out to a friend or even better, reach out to Tribe Sober. After 14 years of sobriety, the last thing Robin would reach for in a basket of tools would be a bottle of wine. We talked about the mommy juice syndrome. Although Robin was already sober when she became a mom, she absolutely understands why many moms reach for the wine at the end of the day. We talked about how difficult socialising was in the early days and how we need to take it gradually. As Robin said, the last thing we should do is subject ourselves to a three-hour party in early sobriety. Just don't go. But you don't have to become a recluse because socialising will eventually become so much easier and being able to hold a non-alcoholic drink definitely helps. Robin finds breathing exercises such an essential tool that she took us through two of her exercises. She also mentioned the Shala, which is a wonderful yoga studio here in Cape Town. Tribe Sober members can book discounted online yoga sessions with the Shala. So yes, another reason to go to tribesober.com and hit that Join Our Tribe button. To find out more about Robin and check out some of her awesome paintings, just go to her Instagram page, which is Robin Denny Art, and her website is also robindennyart.com. So that's it from me. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast. See you next week. Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard. It takes courage and grit and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards, and that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.